Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast. It is Monday, August the 30th, and uh, wherever you are, uh, whenever you listen to this, I wish you my love. I wish you God's grace, God's goodness. I just hope you are surrounded by God's embrace uh, today. It is Monday. Hope you had a wonderful weekend, uh, and we are Gosh, we are August is is waning. It is almost gone, and and when September gets here, I just feel like it's fall now. That's assuming you're in the northern hemisphere. If you're in the southern, well, you in Australia, bless you. Uh, spring is coming. It is coming. Uh, hey, we are going to switch today. I gave you a hint of it last Friday. We went through Matthew chapter 25. We did not fill out the fullness of of 25. There's a great parable that we did not go over. I thought it would be today's gospel. That's the sheep and the goats, which is where Matthew ends before he starts the passion narratives. But uh, in the uh, wisdom of the church, we are starting Luke today, Luke's gospel. So we're going to talk a little bit about the similarities between Luke and Matthew, why they're there, their differences, why they're there. And we've got a wonderful gospel, one of my favorites, truth be told, to start out with Luke today. So the gospel reading, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30. We hear Jesus's opening statement today. So let's break open God's word, okay? A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, and went, according to his custom, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Is this not the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself. And say, Do here in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, 
drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But he passed through their midst, but he passed through the midst of them and went away. My friends, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, can you just envision this this gathering? They're taken by him. They love it. Now, Jesus does, you know, he does go to on here a little bit, doesn't he? Now, they were turning on him. They were astonished at his teaching, right? That's happening. We know that. And really, this is not the major point, but it's just such a scene. It's like, come on. And so they're like, okay, this guy's teaching is astonishing. But then they're like, oh, isn't this the son of Joseph? So that's when they're doubting. That means, uh, he's the carpenter's son. He should be a carpenter. Yeah, his words are astonishing, but really, can we believe him? I'm not so sure. And so he just nails them. He's like, and again, nobody can say Jesus is not soft or not confrontational. And I don't mean that in an aggressive, violent way. I mean, he's going to put it out there. And he's not afraid to. Um, and he says, hey, listen, you guys are just going to say to me that, that darn proverb, physician, cure yourself, uh, and you want me to do what's done here, what I've done elsewhere. But hey, you know, Elijah, he didn't do it for the Israelites. He did it for this woman in Zarephath. She was a Gentile. She was an outsider. That's what he did his work for. Oh, yeah, and Elisha, he, he could have cured a whole lot of people in Israel, but he didn't do that either. He went to, to this guy in Syria, Naaman. You know, and and so basically he's saying the outsiders are going to get it. The insiders aren't. You're insiders. You're in Nazareth. You're in the hometown. You're not going to be open to it. I'm 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 called elsewhere. And they get it. They 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 understand what he's saying. They're like, we don't like that. We don't like you. (laughs) So we're just going to hurl you headlong off the old cliff. You know, can you imagine, you know, just the priest giving a bad homily? And it's like, okay, we're up in arms here. You know, I've, I've heard plenty of bad homilies. I've, I've never seen anybody want to hurl somebody headlong off the cliff, you know, but, eh, you know, maybe if there were cliffs in the area, who, who knows? <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit about Luke versus Matthew. If this bores you, so I'm going to go into some, some biblical scholarship stuff here, okay, for the next five-ish minutes. If this bores you, fast forward. You can easily do that. Just click. We're going to get to, to one point, one major point. Uh, but, but it'll be, like I said, it, it may be a little bit down the line. So generally, and I mentioned this last week when we were talking about Matthew and Mark's gospel and, and when Mark was written and why it was written. So it's general understanding of, of not all, again, not all, not universal, but most biblical scholars believe Mark's was the first gospel written before the fall of Jerusalem, which was in 70 AD. So let's put it around 68, 69, 70 ish, somewhere in that region. Why? Because remember that generation, the first generation of those who were witnesses to Christ, first-handed, first-handed, they were there, right? First-hand disciples. They were dying off. Why? Because of the the martyrdom, because of the persecution of Nero. And and remember last week I said all of Paul's letters, every one of them, 
was written before the first gospel. Paul had no inkling, not in his wildest imagination, would Paul have understood or believed or desired, probably. Now, I don't want to put that in his mouth. Maybe that's incorrect. Um, Never in his wildest imagination would he believe the letters that he wrote to these small church communities 2,000 years ago would still be in existence. What Paul was writing about was how to live as a follower of Christ in practical reality when we're dealing with rich and poor, when we're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, slaves, and, and how do we deal with this, you know, this, this reality. Um, and so all of those were written before and up to in, in, in his imprisonment and ultimate uh, death in 65. So Mark's was written about 70. Matthew and Luke, let's say probably about 80-ish, between 75 and 80. So let's say eight to 10 years after Mark. Again, common scholarship. Most scholars will say, biblical scholars will say, Matthew and Luke used Mark as a reference Sometimes you'll hear me and you'll hear uh, priests and you'll hear other ministers use the word synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So the word synoptic means similar, the same. I mean, you'll, they'll follow the same, often the same pattern, not always. And there's reasons for that. Um, but uh, they'll, they'll often use many of the same stories, but they're very similar. John's is very different. But the synoptic Gospels are those three. And because of that, it's believed that Matthew and Mark, or excuse me, Matthew and Luke, both used Mark as one of the sources for their writing. But it wasn't their only source. Now, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. Again, I hope I'm not boring you. Hope I'm not confusing you. But Luke and Matthew, the scholarship would say, had another source that they shared outside of Mark because there's stories in both Matthew and Luke that they both have that Mark does not have. And so it's believed that they have a similar source called an Q. Now, don't get afraid. It has nothing to do with Q and on. There's no crazy, goofy stuff coming out of here. It's just called Q, the book of Q. So it's thought that Luke and Matthew both had access to this other source, whoever named it Q. It's, it, it, you know, it could be, you know, uh, the writings of Peter. Who knows? We just don't know what, who or what entity this Q source is. Now, on top of that, there are stories in Matthew that are not in either Luke or Mark. And there are stories in Luke that are not in either Matthew or Mark. So it's believed besides Luke having the source of Mark's gospel, besides having this shared Q source that he and Matthew used, it's believed he had another source that is called the L source, L for Luke. And similar to Matthew, Matthew, besides having the Mark source that that he and Luke shared, Beside having the Q source that he and Luke shared, he had an M source, M for Matthew. 
So Matthew had those three sources over here, which explains why they're similar to Mark, why they're different, and why he's got some uniqueness. And the same with Luke. Okay, that was a lot of, of background. But examples include Mark's gospel, excuse me, excuse me, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel are the only ones to have uh, an infancy narrative. Mark doesn't at all. John doesn't at all. Um, they basically start John with this gorgeous poem in John 1, basically taking it back to the creation story, and then diving from there after the first 13 verses or whatever to John the Baptist. Um, and, uh, and in Mark, it just starts with John the Baptist right out the chute. Only Matthew and Luke have the infancy narratives, but they are very different, very different. So they had different sources for that, that they put in. Only Luke has the story of the prodigal son. Um, gosh, I should have done some, only Mark, or excuse me, Matthew, only Matthew has the sheep and the goats. So again, different ideas with that. Okay. So now, with that all in motion, let's get to today's gospel. Just one main point I, I want to get to, and I want to give a little background as to what happened. We started here on Luke 4. Why do we start on 4? Why don't we start in Luke 1? Okay, good question. Luke, if you, if you go and look in Scripture, Luke chapters 1 and 2 are the infancy narratives. We will hear them in Advent. We will hear them in Christmas. We will hear them in the Christmas season and in the last two weekends of the Advent season. So you know them well. Uh, they're gorgeous stories. Um, and, but that's why we don't hear uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2, because we save them for Advent and Christmas. Uh, Luke 2 ends with the finding of Jesus in the temple at 12 years old. So the adult Jesus let's say again, Chirka, 30 years old, starts in chapter 3. So what do we see in chapter 3 of Luke? Well, it starts with John the Baptist, where Mark would start in chapter 1. So Luke starts in 3, and then we see after John the Baptist is introduced, um, we see the baptism of Jesus, and then the genealogy of Jesus in Luke chapter 3. Matthew puts the genealogy in chapter 1, right out the chute. Not a really intriguing way to, to begin a, a book, but uh, that's what he chooses to do. Luke puts it in chapter 3. So again, we've got the baptism of Jesus and the genealogy. And then in Luke chapter 4, what we've missed, because we start at 16, what are the first 15 verses? Effectively, it is the temptation in the desert. So all we've missed of Jesus' ministry is Jesus going down to the Jordan River, coming up out of it and spending time in prayer, and it was during that prayer time in Luke's Gospel that the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it drives him out into the desert. And it's in the desert, in these 40 days, where he says, What does that mean? Who am I? What is my ministry? What does this invite me to? If I am the beloved one, if I am uh, the, uh, the Christ, if I am the one called by God, what does that mean? And then these are his first words outside of the desert. Okay? So that's why I say 
This is Jesus's coming out. In a sense, in a very real sense, this is his thesis statement. You know, when you're going back in English, if they, if, if a teacher says, hey, if you're going to write a good paper, you better write a thesis statement. It's got to be right up, up front. You write the thesis statement, then the rest of the paper has got to support that thesis statement. It's got to point back to it because that's your main point. You want us to get it. And the rest of the paper is supporting that point. And then you say it again at the end, right? How many times have you given a speech? What do the speech writers tell you? Okay, all you got to do, you tell them what you're going to tell them at the beginning of the speech, then you tell them, and then at the end of the speech, you tell them what you told them. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here, brothers and sisters. He's saying, all right, I was baptized. The Spirit of the Lord descended on me. I knew who I was. I was the beloved one of God, but I had to go off into the desert to figure out what that invited me to. And here he comes out of the desert and he says, this is what it invites me to. And the rest of his gospel, the rest of his gospel is living out this, here, today, what we get. Now, let's reread it because it's that important. He jumps, he's pointing back to Isaiah, right? Because it says, he stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written. So actually, he's, he's really citing two passages of Isaiah here. Isaiah 61 is the, uh, is the common understanding of it. Also sprinkling in a little bit of Isaiah 58. But here's what he has to say. This is Jesus' thesis statement. This is his ministry in a nutshell. So let's listen to it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. That's his thesis statement, brothers and sisters. Everything, literally everything he does in Luke for the next 20-odd chapters that he's going through is going to come out of that place because that's who he knows himself to be. And then rolling up the scroll, so don't take my word for it, rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant. Everybody was looking at him, and he says, today this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Meaning, what Isaiah was talking about, what, what was clearly pointing to that time of Messiah when it's coming, it's fulfilled. Jesus is saying who he is which is another reason they're, they're getting all up in arms here because they're like, come on, he's the carpenter's boy. That doesn't make any sense. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. Now, I need you to correct people if they say this poorly. So often we hear, in various circles, wherever it comes from, that Jesus died to save us. Now, that is not untrue, but it is not the fullness of truth. That is not what we as Catholics profess. As Catholics, we profess the saving act of God to be the life 
and death and resurrection of Christ. All of them are the saving acts of God. We cannot split them. We don't look at only one and say you can put the other two off. It doesn't matter which. All of them are the saving act of God. From the incarnation to the ascension of Christ and everything in between, and it all points us to who God is. Because remember, Jesus is the face of the invisible God. That's what Paul tells us. So that doesn't mean just on the cross he was the face of the invisible God, although he was. It means his very life is the face of the invisible God. And what did that life look like? It looked like anointing, being anointed to bring glad tidings to the poor, to remind them you're not forgotten, right? Matthew's Gospel has the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's is Sermon on the Plain. Their, their Beatitudes are close but different. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They didn't think they were very blessed. Jesus was giving them glad tidings. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Really? We just feel like we're forgotten. And time and time again, Jesus says, no, you're not. You know, two sparrows, they fall to the ground. And, and they can't do that without God knowing you're far more important than sparrows. Far more important. He's bringing glad tidings to those who feel forgotten, who feel isolated, who feel despairing, who feel on the fringe. Do you know people like that? Sent to proclaim liberty to captives. Those who are bound. Those who are, are feeling uh, like they have nowhere to go and no one to support them. You remember the last words of Jesus when Lazarus came out of the tomb? Unbind him and set him free. Everything was about unbinding. Who did Jesus talk with? Think of the woman at the well. That's John's gospel. But my goodness, wasn't that an unbinding? Isn't that what he did? Proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to blind. It wasn't just Bartimaeus that he gave sight to. It was anybody. I mean, in telling the parables and the disciples come to him and say, help us understand that one. He said, well, the seed is the word of God. And when you throw it on the path, that's, that's when your heart is hard, you know. But the, but the thorns, you know, they grow up here and, the, and the, the, the concerns of the world choke it away. My, my brothers and sisters, there is so much within Scripture that tells us who God is. And you and I are invited to unpack that. We don't have to convert people in the sense of, hey, you've got to come to our church and you've got to be baptized, then, then you'll be okay. We convert them by helping them understand the Word of God, how God is so present here, right here, right now, by helping them see and letting the oppressed go free just today. I read in, uh, in, again, I think I tell you I get something from the Center for Action and Contemplation, a daily meditation, and today's was, good theology, I love this quote, good theology keeps God, or keep, keeps humanity free for God, and God free for humanity. And you'd think that's easy, but both sides, it's incredibly hard. 
because there's plenty of people here who will like to bind you and say, this is the only way. Or there's plenty of people here who will like to bind God and say, God has to think this way. He only loves these people over here. Good theology keeps humanity free for God and God free for humanity. Let the oppressed go free and proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Um, a year acceptable to the Lord is a year of jubilee. Every seventh year or a year of jubilee every 50th year when everything goes back as it was. To, it's, it's a time of forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake, and I've talked too long already, and I'm going to close here uh, before we pray. Make no mistake, this is not just about Jesus' ministry. It is his thesis statement, and everything else he does is based out of that. But it's also your and my thesis statement. Has to be. Has to be. Because what? Because of our baptism. We are anointed in no less a way. We are anointed with the oil of catechumen. We are anointed with the sacred chrism. We were given that candle, right? Keep that candle burning brightly because the Holy Spirit is not within you. We have a white garment placed over us. We, our, our eyes and our ears were blessed that we may hear the word of God and that we may see God and our mouth is blessed that we may speak those words. Brothers and sisters, the baptism rite is our rite of mission. And so this is our thesis statement. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to open the eyes of a blind person like Bartimaeus or you're going to come up to somebody who's in prison and let them out. But I think every day when we go to bed or every week at the end of it, after we go to Mass on Sunday or go to bed on Sunday night or whatever, or every month at the end, I think we should make it a habit. And I'm talking to me too. I'll be looking back and saying, did I bring any glad tidings? to somebody who's on the edge, somebody who's despairing, somebody who's feeling forgotten, not seen? Did I bring good news to them? Did I help people understand who they were, how they're good, how they're God's beloved, how God is so near to them? Did I help, you know, give sight to the blind that way? Did I proclaim liberty to captives, that you are free that you're not bound by A, B, or C, but that you are free for God. And you know what? That God is free for you. Did I help anybody know they're forgiven and they're loved? Brothers and sisters, we don't have to, I won't, I won't say we don't have to do it every day. We're called to it every day. Whether our God puts people in front of us, whether we see that every day, that, that's a different story. But I know Jesus' mission is ours. And I think it's okay for us to look back and and. And celebrate the victories, the times we have lived this out well, but also to challenge ourselves if we're not, if we're getting, you know, lazier, if we're getting busier for other things. We always need to be called back to this because this is our mission statement, no less than Christ's. I talked a long time today. Bless you all. Let's pray together. We'll just zoom through that and I'll let you go. But bless you and thank you for being present for this uh, this wonderful gospel reading today. And so let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The first joyful mystery, the Annunciation. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces the good news. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. My friends, this may be my longest one ever. I thank you for being with me. Bless you. Have a great Monday, and we'll see you again tomorrow. God's peace.